I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Uh, finally, the Pakistan series, the England Pakistan series, is done, and England ended up victors with a 4 3 final series victory. Actually, after a quite compelling series. It was a bit of a mismatch, that final game. So we'll delve into that in this podcast and into the series generally, into the impact it may have had in Pakistan and on England's chances in the T20 World Cup, which obviously follows in the next few weeks. Uh, We've also got a special guest tonight, Sam Robson, one of the key members of the Middlesex team over the last few years, who finally won promotion back to Division 1 in the County Championship after a Quite a nice climax to the season, actually, last week. So, Sam, uh, welcome to the podcast. And we're going to talk in the second half more about the county season and uh, the Strauss report and all that, which has caused so much controversy. But what's the feeling like having uh, got promotion? Yeah, everyone's over the moon. I mean, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. But yeah, everyone's over the moon. I think... um... You know, it was a it was a good season, and we obviously got off to a good start for those that follow follow it all and whatever. So we were pretty confident from from pretty early on, but we had a little bit of a dip in the middle of the summer, and so then to come back and finish as well as we did and, and get promoted was um was really good. So yeah, everyone's really pleased. A few few hangovers have been nursed over the last couple of days as well, but um, I'm good, been, glad to hear it. Absolutely, no, it's been it's been good fun. So yeah, we've had. A bit of a celebration yesterday. Most of the boys sort of who live in London, and then um, and then yeah, up in Worcester, it was a it was a great day for the club. Really, we had most of the office staff and supporters and and friends and family and whatever ever up there as well. So um, yeah, after a quite a tough few years, it it's been a been a great season. Good to hear actually that you celebrate because I remember you know winning championships and things like that for Middlesex. You know, in the days gone by and. The season just dissipated and we didn't have a celebration. It just sort of everyone, you know, disappeared off to their winter contracts and you handed your sponsored car back and it was almost like a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like that on this occasion. We, um, yeah, we gave it a good nudge. But yeah, we've got a group of, of guys at the club now and um, most of the young lads all get on pretty well together and live together and live close. We've got a decent chunk of the boys living in London now as well so it does make it easier to sort of celebrate wins and 
and whatever and, and sort of seasons like this. Because I think, as you mentioned, I think it's sort of been mentioned in the past, sometimes one of the challenges for Middlesex having being a big London club is that guys are spread out all over the place and sort of building that camaraderie sometimes, you know, in the past may have been a challenge. But, um, yeah, as I said, we've had a, had a good few days. Good. Well, uh, we'll delve into the county season with you in a bit later. Uh, I know you haven't had much chance to watch the England-Pakistan matches because you've been on the field. Simon, you and I have watched them pretty closely. Uh, what, what, what did you make of the, the final game? It's it's weird, isn't it? It was anticlimactic, as you said at the start. Uh, in, I, if you end up batting first in subcontinental conditions, the the, the way you obviously can continue take control of a game is just get a massive score and you know everyone wants seems to want to bat second in the series I mean I think there was one toss weighing and decided to bat first and it, it you know and actually lost the game but everyone else wanted to bat second but it it, it wasn't necessarily the case that you batted second and won the game but the two games that England won batting first they got a big score and that just just puts so much pressure doesn't it on the on the batting side and if you have the added bonus as well of getting out Pakistan's top two early on it, you almost feel there's nowhere to go you almost feel the game was over actually once Rizwan was out today and, and in Barber early on you just think well, almost game over and it was almost as if Pakistan accepted their fate they had a bit of a dash but I mean they got thrashed didn't they I mean it was a, it was a huge win for England and two huge wins actually for them in the last two games because they were under pressure 3-2 down and they absolutely crunched Pakistan on Friday with that scintillating batting performance on the chase and then they did exactly the same uh, today, I mean, they, they, they've got some power in that batting lineup. If it fires, then they're a, they're a match for anyone. Uh, it's, it's when it doesn't quite fire, it seems to me, and they get a sort of middling score, and then they're a bit vulnerable, as probably quite a lot of sides are with their bowling, because you know the bowl, you know, teams bowling can go around the park. You know, I, I, I the, the thing, the, the feeling that, that hits me the strongest at the moment, just currently watching this one-day series, this T Twenty series, is. I, it just makes me wince every time because I see these bowlers pounding into bowl, hurling it down, and occasionally, you know, a slower ball and so on, and just getting pumped out of the park so often with some brilliant shots by the England players. And the reason why it makes me wince, particularly at the moment, is because I, I had a hip operation last Tuesday to replace the hip that probably did quite sterling work for, for Middlesex for about 15 years. But it's that pounding of the body, uh, particularly for fast bowlers, which just in the end makes your hip give out. Um, I, I actually am quite relieved I let it done, but I am feeling a bit like I've been tackled by Jonah Lomu. So the recovery is going well, yours, is it? It's what, five or it's six days in? Five or six days, yeah. I'm sort of shuffling around the house now. I don't want to be seen with crutches very often. Um, I, I actually, I, I, you know, for those who, you know, ex-bowlers or ex, you know, hard labourers of whatever kind, I mean, I think hip operations now are incredibly good. And we used to joke, actually, uh, in the old days about a guy who played for Middlesex called Graham Barlow, who was a very athletic, fit cricketer. He played for England a little bit as well. And his hips just deteriorated to the, st- the extent he, he waddled around, um, you know, looking like a... In fact, we called him Dougie Barder. We called him Dougie after the famous uh, World War pilot who I think lost either one or both of his legs. And um, he he wasn't lucky enough to have the kind of hip surgery that you can have now, which is 
makes it almost better than new. So fingers crossed. Well, good luck on that, and and uh, congratulations. You've had it, you've managed to have it done, and it's not not been a yeah. Well, it's been a, sounds like so. You're next. I'm next. You? You're well, next, I hope right? so sometime in the future. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let, let, it's like old, old men talking about their, their, their yeah their, their, their hips, their, their, hips. Their, their injuries. Yeah. So so going back to the bowling, I mean, I, I thought um, England's today their batting against the Pakistan bowling was outstanding. I mean, Phil Salt, we saw him totally decimate the Pakistan bowlers in the, the sixth game. I, I feel there's a, there's an element of luck about the way he bats. I mean, you have to hand it to him for his audacity and his his skill as well. I mean, his hand speed and so on. But it seems to me he is a bit hit or miss. And that particular innings, he just hit everything. He kept hitting it off the middle of the bat, sailing into the distance. Fantastically destructive innings. You just couldn't bowl to him. Today, well, kind of sawn off a little bit by David Milan's rather sluggish running. But then Milan took up the cudgels and smacked them all over the place instead. So, I mean, the skill of that. And, And someone like... Um, ben Duckett is not even in the squad for the T20s and his range of shots and his hand speed and his, his dexterity a bit, absolutely fantastic and of course we haven't mentioned Harry Brook either who to me is like sort of Kevin Peterson and Joe Root rolled into one yeah well uh, two or three have really advanced their their cause haven't they on this trip I think that's one of the things to say I mean we, you know we, we know the talent that England have but and Brooke has definitely advanced his his cause and so too has Duckett and not not necessarily obviously for the, the T20 World Cup as you mentioned he's he's not in the squad but possibly for the 50 over World Cup in in the subcontinent uh, in in over a year's time you know he, he showed his uh, dexterity against the the spinners sweeping reverse sweeping had a, you know he's had a pretty good series and Brooke we, we mentioned this last week on the podcast I mean he just looks a high-class player. But actually, interesting to bring in Sam here on on Harry Brook. You know what what the, the talk has been in the game about. You know the the young talent that may or may not be around in the English game, but about perhaps uh, Brook in particular. I don't know how much of him you'd have come across, Sam. Yeah, not a heap. But funnily enough, I actually played him. I reckon about five years ago in a club game in Sydney. I was out playing grade cricket um, for for a few months in the off season and. I'd heard the name. I think he'd already been in England under 19 system and whatever. And it was, yeah, as I said, it was just a club game, but he, yeah, he whacked them all over the park that day. And I remember that, that stood out. And then, so I kept an eye on him the next few years after that, or the few years after that. And I think the talk always that he was unbelievably talented and had a lot of ability, but it's sort of been the last 18 months where he's, he's really made it click. And I think the other thing to mention is it's been in, it's been in all cricket, hasn't it, really? Like his four-day cricket at the start of this year was magnificent. I think he opened a little bit a couple of years ago, and I think he shuffled down the order this year, maybe a little bit last year as well. But, yeah, it's all clicked in, in all cricket. So, um, yeah, amazingly talented player. And, yeah, as you said, it's, it'll be interesting to see how he, how he continues to go over the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, he seems to have sort of inked his name in England's T20 side. I mean, there are, you know, there are a few players missing from what's been their regular side in the last couple of years. Of course, Bairstow, Roy and Owen Morgan. So there are some slots there. And you, you'd think Brooke has I mean, significantly advanced his case. There's Ben Stokes to come back, Josh Butler uh, to come back. So there's some decisions uh, to be made. What I think what has been interesting about this series, uh, Yods, is that actually everyone's contributed somewhere along the line to give the selectors something to think about. I mean, you mentioned that scintillating innings from Phil Salt. He was actually at one stage on course for England's fastest ever T20 International 100. It's 42 balls by Liam Livingston. He had a chance of that, but they, they almost ran out of time uh, the other day because they 
they knocked off the runs at, at the other end. So Brook obviously advanced his case. And I mean, David Milan has had a bit of a struggle, actually. At times he's looked, and I think he's even admitted it himself, he's been out of sorts. And yet, lo and behold, you know, when it mattered, last game, decisive game, he comes up with you know, something special today. And he, he, the, the best runs per ball of any of the England uh, batters today. So, yeah, he, lot, lots of good things in, in the batting for England to sort of take forward to Australia, where they go now for three T20s and then the T20 World Cup. Of course, the, 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 the bad thing is it's a selectorial headache because mm. who are they going to actually pick for that when, when they come to the business end of the World T20 and all that? There's going to be a, a contest, I suppose, to open with Butler between Hales and Salt. Yeah, it may be that Hales gets the nod initially because he's got a great reputation in Australia, uh, having played in the Big Bash, done very well. But slightly bouncier pitches might suit him. Uh, Salt, I was also has played in the Big Bash, yes, he has, pretty yeah. well. Yeah, so has. there's going to be a contest there. Um, Milan will probably be feel a bit better playing in Australia because the ball comes onto the bat. Slightly easier. He likes the higher bouncing pitches and so on. So, you know, there's a sort of top four. And Stokes and Harry Brook as well to factor into it. Um, Brook is interesting, actually. He, he was coached by Martin Spate many years ago, who some listeners may remember uh, was a, a very prominent player for Sussex and, mm. and later for Durham. And he was a dynamic batsman. I mean, he was before his time. He was ahead of his time in the way that he batted. I remember him getting down on one knee and, and sweeping me for sort of four or six over deep square leg. And I know people will think, well, that was a fairly sort of common occurrence, but actually not too many people did that in the 1980s. And he would put one leg down and sweep you over deep square leg as a faster bowler. Um, what the great thing about him was he was at Sedba School where Harry Brook went as a 16-year-old, I think. And he got up at six in the morning to throw balls for Harry. And it's just a lovely story to hear that that investment in someone really coming to fruition like it has. Here's a question, yours Might be slightly controversial. Does Ben Stokes get in England's T20 side? That's a very good question. And I, I've been thinking about that. And I, I, I think the problem with, with Stokes is that England haven't found the right role for him with the bat. Or in fact, n neither have the, the various franchises he's played for. He's tried for the Rajasthan Royals. He's played for Pune Supergiants in the past as well, and they tried him as an opener, the Royals, and it didn't really work. Uh, they put him down the order, and it took him a bit too much time to get going. It's it's not easy because uh, I think that in his past incarnation as a T Twenty player. He needed a bit of time to get going, and he wasn't very good at working the ball around and rotating the strike. He was either a dot or a four or six. And maybe because of his sort of change of style in test cricket, that might have enhanced his possibilities in T20 because it's shown his ability to get going quite early on and maybe to rotate the strike a bit more as well and play, you know, play a sort of back seat occasionally. So I, I would see him potentially as a, a possible five or six, but I, I'm not going to absolutely go for it. I, I, I would prefer Harry Brook at the moment. Um, whether you could say he could play at seven as an alternative to someone like Chris Wokes, maybe as an alternative to Moen Alley if the ball's not going to turn, uh, so they want an extra seamer. But his, his batting and bowling records in T20 are not actually that good right. when you relate it to the standard of the rest of the England squad.
they've actually got some quite difficult decisions to make because you know some players have been unfit, haven't they? You know, like Chris Wokes, he's been out for most of the season. He's come back and done you know, reasonably well in in the in the opportunities he's had in this Pakistan series. Mark Wood, they'll need to. Well, it's clear that they've just eased him back in, and when he has played in a couple of matches, he's been uh, dynamic. Actually, he's picked up six wickets and he's bowled the speed of of light. And of course, no, Josh Butler hasn't played any cricket and and Liam Livingston you know has been injured as well so that you know and Ben Stokes has not been in Pakistan so they there are some players to fiddle around with and try to slot in or not slot in as the case may be and they've got those three matches against Australia before uh, the first game against Afghanistan and you need to get it right with the T20 World Cup because there aren't many second chances you know it, it, it that's what makes it I think a compelling tournament is that every match just about counts and you you know you lose one you run you're under real pressure uh, to qualify for the, the semi-finals but I suppose at least they've got yeah, they've got options definitely um, mm. But it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not obvious. I would say what England's eleven is no. going to be for their opening game. Uh, bowling wise, I, I'm slightly more concerned. I think batting wise, they've got lots of fantastic attacking options with amazing strike rates. But bowling, I think Reece Topley's probably confirmed his his spot. He can still disappear, and bowling at the death, he's not always that effective. And I think the problem there is because he's so tall. If the ball isn't a perfect Yorker, even a half volley will have enough elevation on it from his height for the batsman to get underneath it. So not easy for him to, to bowl at the death. And that's where England's sort of potential fragility weakness lies with no Joffre Archer. And I'm not convinced that Chris Wokes is is really secure at the death either. So they have to find someone to do that. I mean, may, maybe Mark Wood could be one well, well, it's Chris Jordan the other, but... Chris Jordan to come back in as well. Yeah, I mean he's another one that's been injured as well. He's another one that's been injured. I like Chris Jordan obviously, and mm. and you know he's a fantastic cricketer. Mm. Um, it, 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 the trouble with bowling at the death is it's it's so it's so difficult to be consistent. Yeah, because just a foot out and you've gone for three three sixes off the over, and. The umpires are so harsh on those wide Yorkers and the balls down the leg side. And I suppose the one thing in the bowler's favour in Australia will be the boundaries will be a bit bigger. Yeah. Some of some of the time. But let's still. hope so. Anyway, let's hope so. I mean, they might you know they might bring them in. You don't. You, but the grounds are big enough, aren't they? Or, or, or some you know some of them are big, are big, potentially big enough. Yeah. Uh, to, to, and, and, I was, and that leads me on to Adil Rashid, who actually hasn't had a great series in, in Pakistan. Did well today, one for twenty-five. Hasn't had a great series. Have you, are you any, do you have any concerns about him? Because he's he's absolutely crucial to England's sort of T20 makeup balance, isn't he? Well, I, I mean, the, the 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 role model for leg spinners in T20 is Rashid Khan, and he, he's just incredibly consistent. And I think the reason is because he's got he bowls flat, he bowls fast. And he bowls slightly short of a length, so you can't get down the wicket. I think that Rashid has got the Adil Rashid has got the same deception as Rashid Khan, probably more actually, but he hasn't quite got that pace. And if he does give it any air at all, you know, batsman whack him. But he does have a good deception, and he understands the art of bowling. And I don't think he, he, you know, he's much more composed probably than he was a few years ago as well. So don't have too many worries about him I just hope that he gets some pitches which have a little bit of purchase because yeah. it's pretty tough if, if it's not going to turn yeah I mean just on Moen 
who captained England in all seven matches and, and actually is their first series win uh, this year in, in T20 cricket, which is a you know, good time to get it with the T20 World Cup not far away. He's not actually guaranteed of his place in the side either, is he, in Australia? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a given that he'll play. No, uh, but, uh, he's used to that, isn't he? Uh, so uh, it'll be all about. I mean, of course, T Twenty becoming more and more a numbers game, isn't it? Mathematics and the the, the analysts looking at it and looking at matchups and how many left-handers have the opposition got and w- w- where can we employ Moen effectively? I mean, he only bowled one over today when the left-handers were in, uh, but he's used to sort of floating in and out of the team. That's his absolutely magnificent value, and he can come in without having played and smack 50 off 30 balls so I mean he is yeah. such a he's probably the most majestic with with Butler he's the most majestic timer of a ball I think I've ever seen would you agree yeah well he's played some he's played some uh, lovely innings in this series and uh, you know advanced his case as well you know he's, he's captain the side and you know, looked, looked calm and guided England to a, a series win I mean perhaps we, before we move on yours we should say you know one thing you know it's actually great that England are back in Pakistan it's it's you know it's it's been successful we know what happened a year ago when England pulled out in the last minute, and that created a lot of bad feeling. I think you know that 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 has that rift has been healed. Seven matches, really well attended, some compelling cricket at times. Okay, you know England won the last two, and today you probably wanted a really tight game. There were a couple of belting games in the middle. Uh, there was that incredible double century partnership. There's been some stunning hitting from from England's batters. And, and all in all, it's probably whetted the appetite for England going back to Pakistan in, in December and playing that test Definitely. series. I, I think it's blazed a trail and I, I think it's been wonderful to see the support, the fanaticism, the passion, the following, the, the just the general fervour around cricket and the, the happiness that England are there. And actually, I, you know, I, I applaud Pakistan for constantly producing excellent cricketers as well. I mean, OK, they've been outgunned in the last couple of games but they competed pretty well before that and if you think that England have had the advantage of not only you know all their resources and their money etc and the hundred and things like that but also a lot of these England players have played IPL cricket which is the kind of obviously the pinnacle of T20 and none of the Pakistan players have ever had the opportunity to play that they've they've played Big Bash and they've played their own Pakistan league and so on but they've never had the opportunity to play in, in the IPL which I think is the sort of um, almost a finishing school for T20. And they still produce fantastic. I mean, Baba Azam, what, what a player he is. And Harris yeah. Ralph, I mean, yeah. he's going to be, he could be one of the bowlers of the tournament in the World T20, I reckon. Yeah. And he came through, he yeah. came through a, a talent search in Pakistan. He wasn't yeah. even heard of when he was 16. Yeah, and, a fi- and actually, just a final word on this. You mentioned the, you know, where various players have played. Of course, I think it's probably helped England as well that quite a few of their players have played in the Pakistan Super League. So they, you know, they the conditions were not alien to them. They were re- reasonably familiar. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So back home, 
We've had a, a very interesting last week of the Championship. Actually, I was absolutely riveted by that final day's play at Edgebaston, Simon, where Warwickshire were playing Hampshire and Warwickshire didn't really have much of a chance of victory. And there was that incredible spell by Liam Norwell, took nine for 62. And thank God for county streams because you could watch it all live and my old colleague Kevin James from Middlesex was was one of the commentators getting all excited uh Sam you, you were kind of your game was rained off actually so because Middlesex got promotion almost by default uh because you you got a draw out of that last match at Worcester and kept Glamorgan at Bain third place so you, you were second Knots were, were first but I guess you might have had a bit of a chance to watch some of that Warwickshire game did you yeah, we we actually did. We had it on the stream just for a little bit when um, uh, when Nick Gubbins was batting. Obviously, uh, former Middlesex player, and he's good friends with quite a few of us still. So yeah, we, we watched a little bit of that, and yeah, that was an, that was an amazing finish. Um, yeah, I mean to take nine for like Liam Norwell did. Yeah, so once in a career, amazing effort really, but to do it um, on such an important day was yeah, it was incredible really. And I think there were there were a few other good games all over the place as well, weren't there? So, yeah, it was definitely a fascinating sort of final week for, for county cricket. Stunning, really, for Yorkshire because they, I mean, they were controlling that match against Gloucestershire in, in the first part of it and it looked like they were going to get a decent first innings lead and then you know, Gloucestershire just somehow managed to sort of stay in the game. Of course, they had such a poor season, Gloucestershire, no wins at all. And lo and behold, they win their last uh, two games. They dr- dragged Warwickshire down in the penultimate game and then they dragged Yorkshire right down. I mean, it was an incredible turnaround. I mean, you, I don't think, sort of with a couple of days left of the championship season, you'd have had Yorkshire going down. You'd probably have had, you know, Warwickshire, you know, almost certain to go down. But, I mean, to defend 139 in those dramatic circumstances on the on the final day of the season, uh, I mean, there have been some dramatic final days, not least the, the when Middlesex won the title, actually, a few years back when they... They beat Yorkshire. I mean, that was a, a, another dramatic day. But I mean, the championship seems to to throw them out. What, what, what's the season been like? In the, we'll, we'll talk about you know the future of the championship. What, what's the season been like? It's I mean it's been a very dry, it seems to me to have a very dry season. Uh, I mean, have the pitches been better? I mean, I suppose it depends where you play. The weather's been hot. The balls have been a bit iffy. Uh, what, what's it been like? Yeah, I think as all those things you touched on there, I think in comparison to recent years. Definitely as a batsman, it, it, it's been noticeable. Obviously, the weather, we, we were lucky, weren't we? We had a great, great warm summer. Um, and even, I think, the weather through April May, April and May was was good too. So that, that stood out. And I think, you know, obviously we saw, you know, some higher scoring games and more runs being scored than in previous years and whatever, which as a batsman is good to see. But I think in general, you know, we saw some better games. I know as a Middlesex player the last few years, we've had, you know, we had a lot of, you know, three-day finishes over the past three, four seasons. Um, we still had a few this year, which you do get in in English cricket um, with the conditions and whatever. But there were, yeah, there were a lot more sort of longer, drawn-out, hard, old-fashioned games of four-day cricket, really, which was was good to see. And I think that's when the best players stand up. And I think that's over over a longer period of time. You'll see the better the better bowlers come through, and you'll see the better batsmen batting for longer periods of time, getting big. And, and putting their hand up. So, yeah, it was enjoyable. There obviously has been a lot of just discussion about the schedule and whatever. There were still a couple of funny blocks. It was it was interesting for us at Middlesex. We 
we only had a couple of guys involved at the 100 and the 50 over competition, we, we were close to qualifying, but we lost to Sussex in the middle of August um, in our final game. And that, that meant we didn't uh, get into a semi-final and that left us with about three and a half weeks, I think, before our next game of cricket. So that was slightly unusual. Well, it was very unusual actually, because the weather through all of August was outstanding. And then we had a three and a half week break there. We were sort of just sitting around waiting to play. You went from one extreme to the other. It was so tiring and you felt like you were playing every second or third day and then um, and then nothing for a few weeks. I think that... What, what did you do, Sam? What, what did you do during that period? Did you just sort of net and just tick over and get a bit bored or... I think like? quite well, actually, because we, we finished the last few weeks well and, and what we did seemed to work. But yeah, I think we handled it well because we just got away from it. We had a full week and a half away from the game, a full break. Um, and then we practiced hard the week before um, our Glamorgan game, which was, I think, on the 12th or 13th of September. So there might have been a temptation to carry on and, and keep training, practicing and whatever. But I think our coaching staff felt that it was probably right just to have a complete break and then go again, which, which worked. So, um, yeah. One thing, Sam, people say, oh, we, you know, we shouldn't play county cricket in April and May. But it's, it, it seems to me in recent years, and because of a bit of drainage and cover, covering the pitches and all that sort of stuff, that actually it is possible to play in April and May. What, what, what was it like? What were the pitches like in April and May? Were they, were they any different from, I don't know, later in the season or you know, a bit later in the season? Were they, were they noticeably juicier or, or, or were, they, were you playing on some quite dry pitches? No, I think in general, I find often, I mean, it depends on the weather. And I think the other thing is these days, maybe in comparison to recent times, is the lights mean that you play a lot. So even if conditions are dark and sort of those traditional tradi traditional sorry, conditions where it's generally pretty hard, hard for the batsmen. So I think if I take last year, for example, 2021, I think, we did a statistic, the boys worked it out. I think through April and May, I think there was only one day at Lords where we battered or where any team battered all day without the lights on. So just because the weather was not as good last year, it meant that conditions were just tougher for the batsmen. And it meant that, you know, obviously, you know, the wickets had more in them because it wasn't hot and it wasn't sunny and it wasn't dry. But also it meant that maybe in years gone by where you might've got off for a session, you were still out there and, and for whatever reason, the ball seems to move around and, and dart around all over the place. And it's pretty tough work if you're batting under lights. Whereas this year, April and May, the weather was a bit better. Um, from memory, I missed the first game of the season with injury against Derbyshire. But we then had a couple of low scoring games at Glamorgan. And then I think we beat Leicestershire at Lords in three days. But apart from that, the sun was out and it meant that, you know, once you did the tough work at the start, um, you know, the wickets, the wickets were quite good and it felt like sort of normal, normal cricket really. Um, so I think that's a big factor. And then obviously the September factor is the 10.30 starts. There's no doubt that that, that does have a bit of an impact, um, particularly, you know, the way the weather's been a little bit the last week, it has felt more autumn-y. Um, and, you know, obviously there are, there are more wickets falling around the place in the last week or two. Also, the balls, I suppose, had an impact, didn't they, this year? It seemed like the balls kind of coincided with the weather and made it a lot a lot easier for batsmen and, and harder for bowlers. Did that change over time? Did the balls get a bit better and a bit harder to bat against or was there no real difference? 
I think so. I think there was a bit of discussion. It's probably it's probably more the bowlers that talk about it than um than the. But you got to but you got to face it. Yeah, I think I think the bowlers from what the bowlers were saying, I think they felt that the balls got better as the year went on, um, particularly this last month, and obviously early in the season that was that was discussed a lot. So my feel is that it's probably a combination of everything. I probably my gut feel is that if the lights are on and you know, one team's 50 for five, um, you're probably not going to change the ball. <laughs> the balls would turn around and say, well, they're 50 for five because the ball's, the ball's all right. But this year, yeah, I think it was a combination of everything. The balls obviously were discussed a lot early in the season and they weren't great. But, you know, we had some, we had some really nice weather and, and some good dry wickets and, yeah, batters were allowed to flourish. And, and before we get on to talking about, the, you know, next year and, and, and beyond, uh, Royal London Cup, there, there were years in the past where you didn't get into the one-day side all that regularly and you were kind of not twiddling your thumbs, but, you know, looking for club cricket or something to play. But this year, I know you had a full go in the Royal London and did really well. Uh, what's that like as a competition? Should, should it should it continue? Yeah, we at middle, we really enjoyed the 50-over competition this year. I think we won five, five games out of eight and, and still didn't didn't qualify um which was disappointing but just the way things sort of went in our group but yeah I think it varied across the across the counties then I think someone a side like Surrey lost a really high proportion of their players um whereas clubs like us at Middlesex I think we only had three or four guys away with the hundreds so we we kept a core group of experienced players um which helped because we had a good balance of experience and and young guys, and yeah, it was a really, it was a really enjoyable competition. You played at more outgrounds, which which was good fun, um, and there were some good crowds. We played Somerset and Somerset at Taunton on a Sunday in glorious sunshine, and that was that was a great day. They had a good, they had a big crowd. It was a good game, and and it was good cricket. So, yeah, I, there's been a lot of discussion about what it's going to look like moving forward. But yeah, I, I like the 50 over game um, as you know, personally and selfishly as a batsman, I feel like you can, you can play proper cricket and um, you know, when you get yourself in, but then you can sort of go and express yourself and play a few shots. So um, yeah, I enjoy well, no it. slips or gullies hanging around. <laughs> so you can, you can free your, free your arms a bit. And um, it, is there a sort of, is there almost a hierarchy in county cricket now with those who are in the hundred and those who are not? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't say that. I think probably one of the one of the un, slight unusual things, I suppose, is guys that have done well in the twenty twenties, and there's always that, and it's and it just is how it is. We had someone like Steve Eskenazi at Middlesex; he had an amazing. Um, 50 over competition and someone like him, him, I think would probably feel a bit hard done by not finding a place in the hundred um, the last few years. So how they manage that, whether, you know, you can kind of, you know, if you perform well in the 2020s is that, can you get into the hundred base? Then obviously you can, but I suppose there's always that unique scenario where you've got the analysts now, as you mentioned earlier on, um, you've got overseas coaches and, I think it obviously it depends where you where you play. Naturally, you know, if you're at Northamptonshire or you're somewhere, you know, and you're a little bit out of the way, is it as easy easy to find a way into the hundred as if you're, you know, you're whacking it whacking them at the oval? So maybe that's something that needs to be looked at. Should we um, look at what the the game uh, could look like, should look like uh, in the future? 
if I gave you a, a blank piece of paper, Sam, and, and said design a, a cricket season in England, I mean, you played here for many years now. It's quite a tough question, admittedly. Um, what what do you what would you put down on that blank piece of paper, and, and what are the discussions in your changing room at the moment? Where do we start? Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Obviously, my gut feel for me being someone who loves the four-day game and that's my forte. And I think that's the other thing to throw in there is everyone's got different views and like everything in life, it depends what your forte is. If you're a 2020 player, you play in the 100, you play all around the world in the 2020 leagues and that's your go-to. Um, whether, whether or not there are going to be eight championship games or 16, it's probably neither here nor there because it's not it's not going to affect you the same way that if you're someone like myself and four day cricket and 50 over cricket and whatever that is the priority and 2020 is not your forte you probably want to play more cricket and I think that's that's probably the side of the fence that I sit on I think clearly if you played less games of course the intensity and those sort of things in theory would go up my gut feel is that 10 in England doesn't feel like it would be enough. Um, I think if you compare it to places like Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, etc. I think even little things like their climate, I think four-day cricket there generally is probably physically is going to be harder work. So, you know, the weather is better, it's hotter. Um, they're going to get less three-day finishes. I think if you had the game, had 10 games in England and the weather was... You know, it was a rough summer weather-wise. Um, a couple of games were badly rain-affected and two or three were over by lunch or tea on the third day. That I think you get to the end of the season and I think you'd feel like that wasn't that much cricket. Maybe if you had 10 in a summer like this year and everyone was really hard for and by the end guys are knackered, maybe it would look all right. But, yeah, I just feel like four-day cricket, I think you could play more than 10. Um, I think the structure this year... Obviously, it didn't work. You know, they're trying to make it fit in better and work better. I think 14 games is fine if it's managed better and they're spread more evenly across the season. Obviously, doing that with the hundred um, is tricky. Yeah, did it? Did it feel? Uh, I mean, there was that really intense period of county cricket. I know you said you missed the first game at the start of the season uh, through injury, but did it feel that those first five or six weeks when you know there was, it was four day game after four day game after four day game with the weather quite good? Did it? Did that feel really sort of really draining for the players? You know, to talk about the quick bowlers, were they able to sort of come back and you know, the next game and, and give it everything uh, as they had in the previous game? Yeah, I think it is, it is obviously it is tough work um, and you do, you get to the end of that May period, which we've had the last couple of seasons or last few seasons where you play a lot in April and May and you do definitely get to the end of that May block and you sort of think, geez, I'm, I'm ready for a little break now. So I think guys are definitely, it does take them, take it out of them. Um, so as I said, yeah, but I suppose if it was managed slightly better, so maybe, you know, you didn't play seven or eight in a row, but you played five or six in, I don't know, eight or nine weeks. And then you played a little bit more through the summer uh, as we did this year, to be fair. And then, um, you know, a little bit more in August. That to me would be would be great. And that would be more sensible. Um, but yes, yeah, so how they're going to do it, it's, it's, it's tricky. <laughs> Has anybody actually um, asked you or anyone in the team? I mean, you know, Andrew Strauss is obviously a former Middlesex player and he's the 
the basically the the architect of this report or the the, the supervisor of this high performance review have you been consulted has anybody from middlesex been consulted have you met anyone who's been consulted about it we had a, yeah as players we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago with um with our coaching staff and alan coleman the head of uh, head of men's performance cricket at the club um so yeah we all we had a bit of a discussion about it as group of players um and whatever but yeah if i'm honest i think it's most of it is above our head i'm sure it's being discussed with the directors of cricket and uh, the people that are making the decisions um, at the clubs. Um, and obviously there's been the PCA, sort of the surveys in recent years um, and whatnot. Yeah, we know about PCA surveys. I mean, a very honourable idea, but in the past, I remember no one ever actually, you tried to get anyone to sort of vote for the player of the year or any particular changes in the game. You've got about 12 replies. Maybe, Maybe players are better now, I don't know. Yeah, I think they've probably been a bit better in recent years. But as I said, yeah, it's been discussed amongst the players a little bit the last month or two. Um, but yeah, I think most of the most of the main stuff is is getting done above us. So, what about the idea of um, three? Well, three divisions: one, a first division, and then two div- divisions of six, or two, you know, two second divisions. How, how, how does that feel? Does it does it feel? I don't know. Over managing the situation, or does it, does it feel something that might be viable? Yeah, I think obviously that for the first division, that definitely that's going to be obviously that will be uh, you know really strong, good, hard fought cricket. Um, I suppose the one thing which I would have, which is a bit of a concern, and perhaps that's probably what they want to happen, but perhaps is that if you're stuck in division two. If you're a Middlesex player through and through or, you know, you've grown up in Worcester or whatever and you want to play for Worcester for your career and you equally you want to play for England, even if you do very well in that second division as a side, you still need the stars to align because I think it looked like you'd have to win your conference or your side of Division 2 and then perhaps even win a final. Am I right? Yeah, I think that I think that's the plan, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that to me, that's, you know, you could... You know, you could be lingering in Division Two for a long time, and equally, you can that can be the case now. But I definitely feel with promotion and relegation at the moment, with two up, two down, you feel like you know it's achievable. If you play well for a couple of years and you play good cricket and you're up there, it, it's very achievable. Whereas I think, yeah, winning your division and then still having to win a final, um, yeah, that 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 could be interesting. And then that obviously brings in movement of players. If you're stuck in one of the Division Two sides and you know, take the example someone at a, at a club like Worcester or whatever who are going to be in Division Two next year, um, then you know, and you want really want to play for England, you want to play in that Premier Division. Okay, on one hand, yeah, great. Well, that's how it should be. You go and play for the Division One side, but clearly that's going to change the dynamics of county cricket. You know, big time. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think it would. Yeah. What What about this idea of sort of? You know, you, you said you didn't play much in August and you had a bit of a break. What about this idea of some sort of festival cricket or, or you know, almost like new competitions, like a local derby or a London Cup? Or, I mean, h- how would that sit? Would that would that feel as intense, um, uh, you know, as playing in the championship, the, the, the proper competitions, if you like? Uh, I don't think it would. No, if in is my understanding. So I think naturally, once those games started and you're out there and whatever, it's first class cricket and. 
And I think they would be quite good games on one hand because, yeah, they'd be, you know, you'd be probably playing them at outgrounds um, or, you know, generally I think a lot of them would be out at a club like Middlesex. We would be playing at an outground because we wouldn't be using Lords with the hundred. Um, and yeah, I mean, for spectators and whatever, I'm sure if you were there, they'd be, they'd be good games. I think they're talking about potentially have local derbies and whatnot, but if they're not part of the championship, I don't think, I think it would lack a little bit of something, obviously. Um, yeah. So that, that wouldn't be my preference. Um, I felt, I, I believe if there's had to be something sitting under the hundred, I think the way it, way it worked this year with having the 50 over competition probably seems more appropriate to me, but you know, there still are guys in the dressing room that have said, no, you need to play 50 over games because there's a world cup and you, you want to play for England. You want to play for England in 50 perform well in those games as well. So it's a very tricky one, but yeah, I'm not sure first class matches, which aren't part of the championship. I'm not quite sure how, how well that would go. Just on a personal note, Sam, I couldn't help but notice uh, the final game of the championship that you were out for naught and then your team got 500. What, what is that like to sit there? Well, you know, I, mean, I know I, cricket is such a cruel game, isn't it? And, you know, one ball, you've got your name on it. You go early, especially as an opener in England. And then the other, the other lot rack up 500. What's that like? Well, it's boring. That's definitely <laughs> one word I'd use. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, actually. I was thinking, I've, I've got a lot of noughts in my time and I'll, I'll be getting a fair few more um, as long as I keep opening the batting, I'm sure. But I'm not quite sure whether I've got nought in a total of 500 before. I don't think so. So, um, yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, personally not the best game. But, um, but, yeah, obviously amazing to go up. And it was a strange game, actually, because I think the way the wicket was, we didn't, we didn't see... Uh, we didn't see that sort of a score coming at all. We thought no, it was. It was a slow burn, wasn't it? I mean, it was like 130 for five and things like that, and then it suddenly suddenly grew and grew. Uh, what, so, what do you do to kill time? You're at Worcester, staring out at the cathedral, wishing God had smiled more kindly on you. I suppose. How do you kill time? Yeah, not not too much. Read the paper, watch the boys bat, do a few laps of the ground with a couple of the boys. Um. And that's about it, really. And then visit the cake. Visit the cake stall. No, not the cake stall. This way, I think normally I try and get an ice cream if there's an ice cream van. But it was a bit cold in Worcester this week. I think it was only about twelve degrees each day, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't ice cream weather. But yeah, so that's normally my go-to. Well, listen. I, I guess you will be listening out for the selection of England's Test squad for Pakistan with just a sort of tiny sliver of hope that you might get, get a mention. But if not, because um, you've obviously been talked about in dispatches as a, a, a potential opener for England in tests. If not, what's your winter plan? Yeah, I think probably a quite, quite couple of months. Middlesex normally go back to training in November. So we'll do a fair bit of the fitness stuff and whatever we do these days in November time. And then I'm going to go to Sydney in the middle of December um, and play great cricket there. So I've kept doing that. I've done that the last couple of years anyway, um, which has been good. So I sort of feel like playing a little bit in January and February is a nice sort of lead into the to the season over here. You sort of come back feeling like you're, you know, you're not starting out, but it's just sort of a bit of a roll-on really from from batting and of the seasons. So that's that's my plan and yeah, it should be should be good. That's a bloody nice prospect actually. Going to play I, I did that exact thing. I remember going to play in the Sydney grade 
team in sort of November, December, January, and it's a lovely escape from the the pressure of county cricket and also the weather in the in England. But there is a pressure associated with playing as a sort of prime overseas player in in a grade team, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think we've got a few guys going out um, this year to yeah to play in play in Australia, which is good because I think with COVID in recent years, it's been a bit harder for guys uh, to get away, which is which has been not ideal. But as I said, there's a few doing it this year, which is good. And yeah, they, you know, they train hard, they practice hard and, and you know, the the guys are always up for on a Saturday. So as you said, there is, there's pressure to do well. And, you know, when you're only getting half a dozen bats in in two months, you, you want to make it count when you get out there. So yeah, it, it is good. And I think also one of the other things which I think Nice is getting away from and sort of just a change of scenery, really. And I think when you get back in March time for pre-season and to prepare for the English season, you are a bit reinvigorated. You're seeing sort of your teammates again for the first time in a few months rather than seeing them every day through the winter as well. So I think it's a nice, it is a nice preparation. Well, listen, thanks very much for your time and, and congrats on the season. It's great to see. And you delivered on that final, final match. Uh, well, I suppose... You didn't lose it anyway, which was the key thing, and, and got the bonus points. Uh, so, so well done. And it's good to see, you know, first division cricket back at Lords next summer. It'll be really exciting. Well, yeah, that, yeah. again, th- I mean, thanks to Sam for, for joining us. And, you know, very, very good luck with your, your winter. I mean, it does sound uh, enviable, doesn't it? Going off to play cricket in Australia. What a, what a, what a lovely thing to be able to... To go and do, and for you, Simon, it means you could wear shorts all year round as well. Of exactly, course. yeah. Except when you're on the field, yeah. which I know well, is we... really what's well, so that's your aim in life, isn't it? I mean, you need to go and live in Greece or somewhere. Really, you're right. You're right. Well, we were out in Australia last summer for the Ashes. We were out there for for nine weeks. Well, we were in Sydney for about three weeks, and it rained just about every day we were there. <laughs> it rains more there than it does here at the moment. Yeah, well, your your uh, your good good friend Jim Maxwell, you know, our Test match special colleague and ABC colleague, he says he always says, "Did you know it always rains more in Man?" I can't do an Australian accent. I can't do Jim's accent actually, but it always ra- it rains more in Sydney than it does in Manchester. Is that right? And I think that's I think that's statistically correct. We'll have people yeah. writing in about that, to, suggesting mm. whether that's true or not. Anyway, well, let's hope it doesn't rain when you're out there, Sam. You can get some some good practice. Um, we are going to take a few days off, I think, but we'll be back to preview the World T20s, uh, which starts on the 16th of October. And, of course, England are in Australia uh, it, it shortly. So we'll be back with some reviews and previews of those T20 games. And Simon will hopefully find something to do. I'm going to be uh, employing the green goddess, that lady who comes on to her breakfast TV, to do some really pathetic exercises to see if I can get my hip back in shape and hopefully pace like fire next summer. Uh, well, at least 55 miles an hour anyway. So thanks thanks all for listening. Thanks for, thanks for your best wishes, everybody, and see you soon. Good luck with the rehab, Yoz. Podcast Network.